the second I think something negative, I change it to a positive. But then also I practice something that I call my I am's and it literally just, I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I'm powerful. I'm a champion. And some of those things are things that I may not even believe yet, but I'm going to keep saying it until I believe it. Hey, hurdlers, Emily Abadi bringing you episode 114 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to chat about everything from their big wins to how they've gotten through some of life's toughest moments. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. As I continue on my week of reposts today, I am bringing you the one, the only, Natasha Hastings. She's a sprinter, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and honestly, just an awesome, awesome woman. For today's episode from February of this year, I sat down with Natasha at the Under Armour Human Performance Summit at their Baltimore headquarters. And from the second she walked in the room, I was just in awe of her strength, of her passion, and her I-can-literally-do-anything attitude. Today, she talks to me about a few different hurdle moments in her career that made her realize she had to squash negative thoughts to truly reach her full potential. And we talk about how she did that. She also shares what it's like to stand on the podium at the Olympic Games, as well as what it was like to hit the track for the first time post-baby. My favorite thing about this episode, I reflect on it all the time, was that Liam, her little baby boy, actually sat in on this recording and was the most well-behaved child, like literally ever. This one is full of so much inspiration and I am so amped to bring it back to the feed. As always, at Hurdle Podcast, at Emily Abadi. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Natasha Hastings. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. I feel like we need to tell the people at home about my extra special guest <laughs> on the podcast, Liam. Probably not going to say much. Are you going to say anything? Say good morning. Oh, we've got a, we've got a deep breathing? breath coming from Aww. baby Liam. How old is Liam now? He's five months. Five months. Yeah. He is a stud. Thank you. I saw him yesterday wearing the cutest little Under Armour polo. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. we are in a cable knit sweater. Mm-hmm. I also don't know if I've ever seen such a well-behaved baby. <laughs> He's just staring at me right now. Good morning. Not going to say good morning. No. Not today. (laughs) It's cool. For those of you that don't know Natasha, she's a gold medalist, both the 2008-2016 Olympics, the 4 by 400 meter relay. Were you always into running fast? Yeah. So I 
feel like I've been running for my entire life. I've been running as long as I can remember. Both of my parents ran track. They actually came to the States on um, athletic scholarships. So it was just always around. I remember my father was a um, coach at their alma mater, and I used to go to practice with him and try to race the guys, and I was like five or six. So yeah, I've been running in circles for a very long time. For a very long time. I mean, five or six is a pretty young age yeah. to, to really kick it off. Yeah. So you were running, I mean, through elementary school. And then once mm-hmm. you got to, to junior high, it was like, I'm going to join the track team. So I actually joined the track team when I was nine. So it was like fourth or fifth grade. And the way that happened, my mom used to take me to a track meet in New York called the Colgate Women's Games. It's a meet still going on. I think they just had their 50th anniversary. But uh, my club coach basically discovered me there and I joined the team. It was probably like a November or December and he coached me straight through high school. Um, So I officially joined a team when I was nine, nine going on 10. And I mean, when you're nine, your view of being part of a team is so much different than say when you're, you know, in your teens and beyond that. Yeah. The competition aspect is the same. Obviously you're moving fast. You're working for something Mm -hmm. when you're nine. It's like, it's fun and games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, I I feel like I've been getting that question a lot this weekend (laughs) (laughs) about like, when did I realize I was fast and this and that when I was nine, it was just that like I was fast. I was winning. I was having fun. When I got to high school, it became a little bit more serious. And then when I got to college, it got way more serious. And then it got really serious (laughs) really serious when we're traveling the world for the olympics so talk to me about what it was like growing up with sports being such an integrated part of your everyday being on the track team also balancing school were you into school so oddly enough track was the thing that taught me discipline and got me on the straight and narrow before track i was sort of an average student um and my mom when I joined the team and she realized like, okay, you enjoy this. Then it was like, okay, then you need to make sure that your grades are up. And so it was the thing where I actually took my competitive edge from the track into the classroom. So joining the track team is actually what made me become a straight A student. Up until then, I was just kind of like, just a doing enough to get by student. Um, I remember even I, I was kind of a I was a Catholic school girl brat. <laughs> What's that even mean? And I was just, I was, I was active. And my track coaches were, they were like disciplinarians. And it was, so I, I do remember very vividly that like track was the thing that kind of like, I, I gained some focus. What is life like outside of track for you then? Because obviously that's given you like that discipline and you're focused in school Mm -hmm. and you're getting these A's. But are you having much of a social life growing up? Are you enjoying yourself? What's that like? I mean, I had friends and most of my friends were from the track team, but I wasn't really getting into what the average 15 and 16 year old was doing. I can't say that like Not that I didn't go to the movies or I didn't go to the mall, but it wasn't. Track was definitely my focus. I mean, I remember my senior prom, everyone was going to the after party and I went home because I had city champs the next day. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't feel like I missed out on anything. Yeah. Because 
while I wasn't doing some of those things, by the time I graduated high school, I'd already been to Italy for World Juniors. Totally different, unique yeah. experience. Yeah. And did you know that you wanted to go to USC or how did that kind of yeah. pan out? So I, um, USC, South Carolina, let's be clear, the original <laughs> USC established 1801. And my, my college coach, he hates to hear this sometimes because I, I played hard to get and he had to recruit me like every other school did. But I think I knew I wanted to go to South Carolina as early as my freshman or sophomore year of high school. A lot because of my event being a quarter miler, South Carolina was just like a quarter miler powerhouse and a lot of um, great quarter milers went to South Carolina. So yeah, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to go to Carolina. So what's your quarter mile PR? 49.84. 49.84. And how long in your career did it take for you to get to that point? So I actually ran that my junior year of college. So I was 21, 22, 21. And then I've equaled it a few times throughout my career. Equaled it. <laughs> <laughs> like right on the money equaled mm -hmm. it? Isn't that kind of crazy? It's insane i'm like can i just can i do 83 can i something but <laughs> can it, i do it's something the exact same thing all right so then talk to me a little bit about what life's like in college with all the i mean being a college athlete is mm -hmm. a hurdle within itself mm -hmm. i actually had a lot of fun in college <laughs> and but it's the thing that i i tell people like especially when i talk to young girls that i think i had a lot of fun because i was also in the honors college at south carolina but i got great grades in school as well. So I, you know, you hear them talk about time management and almost shove it down your throat, you know, your senior year of high school, freshman year. I made sure that my work was done. I trained hard and then I was able to have a blast after that. And then just knowing that I had done my work, I was able to have even more fun. So I was at all the parties. <laughs> I was that girl. But you never felt like any of that kind of got in the way. No, because like I said, it was after like, I mean, I remember coming back from track meets and we got back early enough that we could go to the party. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it was after the track meet. It was, you know, but yeah, I just made sure that my work was done. Training was, you know, like, I mean, there was no way around training and <laughs> I, I was able to maximize that social life in college. Yeah. And I feel like something that's interesting about being a college athlete and definitely something you'll be able to speak to is at this point in your life, a lot of women are coming into their own. Mm -hmm. You know, you're learning about like your wants and your needs and gaining an appreciation for your body. Right. At this time, like what is your self image like? Um, I think my self image was was pretty was good at that point. So I studied exercise science in college. It was a way for me to sort of study what I love, obviously training and learning about the body and this and that. But it, it was also at the same time in college, you, and we're hearing a lot of this conversation now, there were conversations on the team about our weight and, you know, the things that we were eating. And I think having the exercise science background and understanding how the female's body, the female body should function and we shouldn't be um, less than a certain body fat percentage and that sort of thing. Um, it helped because I did see teammates kind of do some extreme things to lose weight or be fit. Fit was the word that um, our coaches would use sometimes, but I always had my 
studies to fall back on that was kind of like, mm, you're crazy. Like, you want me to lose 10 pounds where? How? So I think I was able to manage that and kind of put it in perspective. Um, interestingly enough, though, when I left college and became a pro and it was obviously a lot more pressure at that point, things kind of changed a little bit. But yeah. through college, I was able to manage it fairly well. So let's talk about then the transition to pro, mm -hmm. because obviously you're excelling at this crazy level in college. You are amazing. What would you say was one of your like biggest accomplishments while you were in your college years? Uh, definitely setting the collegiate records. I did the collegiate record in the 400 in indoors and outdoors. So and then, of course, I won nationals as well. So those two things would top the, the list. Top, yeah. All right. So we win nationals and we're set up for like we're set up. Mm -hmm. You're doing it. Mm -hmm. At this point, where does life take you then from when you're graduating USC? So I actually turned professional after my junior year of college. So I actually, I did graduate, but <laughs> <laughs> I went back to graduate after the 2008. Actually, I went back after the 2009 World Championships. Yeah, I'd started my professional career after my junior year. The Olympic season, 2008, was my first professional season. When you realize that you're going to the Olympics, mm -hmm. describe that feeling to me. It's actually bittersweet. Why is that? Because um, so I made it in the relay. I placed sixth at the trials. Top three goes in the individual 400. And in track, everyone wants to make the individual. So it was cool. I was 22 and I made my first Olympic team. How many 22-year-olds are on the Olympic team, how many people, period, are on the Olympic team. But then there was also that disappointment of not making it in the individual. Great perspective. 22, going mm -hmm. to the Olympics. You know all of the women that you're running with. Mm -hmm. Are you excited about the people that you're running with? Are you nervous? Does it make you, I don't know, I feel like... It's definitely nervous. Um, and especially at that point, I didn't have a grasp on number one, the transition from collegiate to pro was one that I just was not prepared for in any sense. And I would say more mentally, physically, my physical abilities, definitely, I was ready to be there. But it's a whole nother ball game competing professionally um, than it is collegiately. And there's no um, there's no manual. You just kind of have to figure it out. So that took some years actually to come into my own and it took some years before you know I started I would say successfully making the transition I had some tough growing years <laughs> my first few years as a pro making that transition and and you know understanding the differences in competing as a pro versus a collegiate talk to me a little bit about that mental side so a lot of it was in how I was speaking to myself and, you know, I was I was doing the work. I was always a hard worker, but I was sort of beating myself before the gun even went off. Like it was a lot of negative thoughts and, you know, how painful the 400 is and man, it's going to hurt and I'm going to die coming home. Just 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 terrible thoughts. And then also the pressure of having left college you know, collegiate record holder. I was like number two or three in the world. And so there's this expectation of now being a great quarter miler and I wasn't living up to that. So there was like all of these things, all of this pressure on my shoulders. It took getting some help from a sports psychologist for me to really 
kind of, I guess, get a grasp. That took a while. And it wasn't until after not making the 2012 team that I actually was like, okay, maybe I need some help in this area. Do you remember any specific takeaways from the, like your first interactions with someone to talk about how you were feeling in that inner dialogue that maybe now you share with others, um, oh, especially, yeah. I mean, you talk to, to young women all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'll say it started with a conversation that I had with my mom after the 2012 trials. She basically said, you know, I look at you out there on the track and it's like, I can see, you know, your mom can see things that no one else can see. She said it flat out. Like, I can see that you don't even believe that you belong where you are. Mm. And I want you to know that you do. She happened to be sitting next to a gentleman um, at the trials who turned out to be a sports psychologist. And he offered to work with me. Wow. And I just so, got chills. Like, that's like yeah. such a fate moment. And so he and I started working together shortly after the 2012 trials. And it started simply with that. You know, what are your thoughts when you're standing on the line? And I told him, like, these are the things that I'm thinking about. And he was like floored, like <laughs> every every single thing out of my mouth was negative. Oh. And so it was literally just taking those negative thoughts and changing them into positive thoughts. And, you know, sometimes I always say this quote and by now I should know who said the quote, but I don't know. Be careful how you speak to yourself because you might be listening. If I took anything away from that relationship with that working relationship with my sports psych, it was that that like you have to speak positive things over yourself and over your life. It's true because every single day, like we are the person that talks to ourselves mm -hmm. the most during any given day, Yeah, which it sounds silly because they're, they're just thoughts. But those mm -hmm. thoughts determine so powerful. everything that mm -hmm. you do with everyone around you. Yep. Talk to me about 2012. Yeah, 2012 was a, definitely a year of shift from everything 2012 was the year that I moved to Texas so actually the day after Christmas 2011 I left South Carolina and moved to Texas um, and I made the move as sort of an all-or-nothing move I was after college I'd actually went to Florida for a year I left Florida went to California for a year and I went back to South Carolina to finish my degree ended up staying there for a couple of years Obviously, none of those coaching situations worked. And so Texas came about and it was like, OK, if I move here, this has to work. If not, I'm I'm done. Done with track, that is. The 2012 trials were that summer, of course, and I placed seventh. So I was just one spot out of even making the relay. And so this time around, you know, it wasn't I didn't make the team altogether you know it wasn't oh I didn't make the individual but I'm on the relay I wasn't even on the relay this time so this was like rock bottom so I remember walking not speaking to anyone <laughs> I was livid and I literally walked from the stadium back to my hotel probably a couple miles away um, and I took probably close to a week to kind of process things and like I had it made up in my mind that I think I'm done with track. I think I'm going to go back to school. Between my coaches and my family, they all kind of slowly one by one were like, you know, I think you should rethink this. You, you're you still young. You have some left in the tank. Um, and then that was when I had that conversation with my mom and started working with the sports psych. So it was a year of disappointment, a year of hitting rock bottom. But 
I think it was also a year that kind of forced me to, I guess, get to know myself and readjust some things that I, I believe the changes definitely enhanced my performance, but it also enhanced my personal life because it opened my eyes to how I was viewing myself and, and the things that I was even believing I was worthy of. So during this time when you're struggling with your relationship, both with yourself and also with the sport Mm -hmm. of running, do you lean into running or do you kind of find other things as an outlet to help you cope with all of these feelings and these emotions that you're struggling with? I think at that point, I started leaning somewhat into other things, other things being my friends, being more intentional about, you know, having meaningful relationships. I mean, I think for as long as I can remember, I I surround myself with like-minded or like-goal people. Spending time with people that were headed in a positive direction in their life or working on positive things, I think, was definitely important because I talk about sport being in a place of outlet for me, but there is also a fine line of sport is actually work too. So sometimes I actually need an outlet from it as well. So I think that's where a lot of the 400 meter diva thing comes into play and like me doing my hair and makeup, particularly for my competitions. I call it a positive distraction. It's something that I do leading up to, I mean, I don't just wear makeup to compete, but (laughs) in those moments, it's a, you know, few minutes away from this big thing that I'm getting ready to do gives me something to do with my hands and just kind of something that makes me feel good. Talk to me about the 400 meter diva thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of started with um, my freshman year of high school, of of college, sorry. We were going to Penn Relays and um, being from New York, I run Penn Relays all through high school. And then so my coach asked me to do an interview. You know, there's media going into certain track meets. So the journalist asked me, what made me choose South Carolina. And so I talked about the history of quarter milers. And then I also said, and you know, the girls, they're really pretty. And I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, they're just divas. So when we went to Philly for Penn Relays, the headline of the story was the Gamecock Divas return to Penn Relays. Hey, hey. Our coach, Coach Fry, took it and ran with it. Like he had outfits made up with Gamecock Divas on them. Um, and they may still to this day call themselves the Gamecock Divas. All right. And so from there, 400 Meter Diva came out of that. I love it. So. <laughs> and it seems like, I mean, you like to embody it now. It's also yeah. helps amp you up for what you're about to oh, take yeah. on. Yeah. Would you say? Would you agree? For sure. I mean, and while it amps me up, I also I tell people because, you know, I went through the well, you're not if you would spend less time focusing on hair and makeup than you would perform better. And I was like, well, if 15 minutes is the reason why, you know, I'm, I had a bad race versus all the hours that I've put in, then, you know, I have a lot bigger issue than that. Also, I just feel like if I were working a nine to five, you know, there is a part to play. There is a dress code for, you know, going to work every day. 
my job requires me to be on TV. So if I want to look good, <laughs> what is wrong with me dressing the part and looking appropriate? And it's, it's you know, it's really you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I look at, you know, how Gabby Douglas was treated in the Olympics. And it was like, there she was focused on her um, craft and focused on going there and winning these medals. And she went there and performed amazingly. And people were talking more about her hair than about her performance. So it's one of those things that people just want to talk. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to do what makes you happy and screw the haters. Screw the haters. <laughs> talk to me a little bit more about the challenges that go hand in hand with being pro. I mean, you dealt with and overcame 2012. But then as you're getting back into the swing of things, mm -hmm. are you feeling more pressure than ever to perform after having a difficult year? At that point, I had gotten to a point where I was like, well, everyone's counting me out anyway. So it was like, there's no way I can get any worse as well. You know, so it was just like, just focus on you. But then there's also, I think, a level of emotional maturity, too, where I you I have to focus on the things that I have control over. You know, I, what I don't have control over, it just is. I was about 26, 27 um, so at that point I'd kind of brushed that off. Um, but I think as I worked through my self-worth and the way that I viewed myself and the way that I talked to myself, it became more important how I feel about myself and not so much what the expectation of the world is. What are some examples of the types of things you start to say to yourself versus where you came from with mm -hmm. such a such a negative space how is that dialogue changing for you at this point so it's first like the second i think something negative i change it to a positive but then also i practice something that i call my i am's and it literally just i'm beautiful i'm smart i'm powerful i'm a champion and some of those things are things that i may not even believe yet but I'm going to keep saying it until I believe it. There are times that I've had them written on my mirror. I say them in the morning when I wake up. I say them sometimes that if I'm having trouble falling asleep, I say them until I fall asleep. I may even do it while I'm getting a massage. It's just, I guess it's a form of meditation, affirming myself, you know, training myself to think and speak positively over myself. So we're in a more positive state of mind. Mm -hmm. And... Things are starting to go well because mm -hmm. we're gearing up for 2016. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the road to 2016 because the conversation points must be working a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, from 12 to 16 was like a slow grind back. I won't say to the top, but to performing. Well, I guess to the top. I was going to say, come on, <laughs> don't give yourself a little bit of credit here. It was just a slow, steady grind of improvement over the years. I went from... 2012, not making the team. 2013, I was national champ. Um, went to the world champs in Moscow. 15 was another world championship year. Not so great. I placed second at nationals, but I didn't make the finals at world champs. 16 was like, okay, we're back here at the trials. I'm 30 years old. Again, people are counting me out because I'm now 30 years old. Um, Isn't that insane? Yeah. Uh, but and it, it's even more insane because it's a conversation that is had about women, but not for men. 
Um, and, you know, we start getting that question about retirement. And I'm like, but my counterparts over there is 35 and you're not asking him when he's retiring. 2016 was another like it was just a challenging year in the sense that I went into the year thinking it was it was my year of redemption in the sense of, you know, obviously not having made it in 2012. 2015 was an OK year. Um, and then about a month before the trials, I get a tweak in my hamstring. So then it becomes, OK, let's <laughs> maintain and not make this injury any worse. And then it was literally like I get to the trials and it's like round by round. The first round, I could still feel my hamstring and I'm like, man, I'm unsure. But, you know, at this point, I'm working with my my therapist and we're still working on, you know, the positive affirmations, focusing on the things that I have control over. It was a literal round by round. And I get to the final and I just decide there's no point in taking anything home. i got to leave it all here. So... I don't remember anything about the race. I just remember hitting. Oh, I'm really getting him now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just remember hitting the ground after the race because I had literally run until the wheels fell off. Like I ran to the point where my legs were like, I have nothing left. And I literally fell to the ground. I wish Thank this was a video podcast. <laughs> I know. Hi. I can't wait till you speak real words. You'll be my youngest guest ever. Oh my God, he's like enamored. I remember um, I was working with Ato Bolden at the time and he said to me after the race, he said, why did you dive for the finish line? You you were on the team. And I said, I did not dive <laughs> for anything. Like that was literally my legs that were like, we have nothing left, we're done. And I fell to the ground. And it, everyone else knew I made the team and I remember laying there on the ground waiting looking up at the scoreboard waiting for my name to pop up because I literally blacked out I didn't know what happened in the race where I was nothing so when the three popped up next to my name it was like I think I I remember yelling like because it was just like all of this pent-up emotion that finally it was like I'd been through all of this to get here to this moment and finally, and but <laughs> there's there's that feeling, but then there's also the feeling of it's not over. Like I still had to go to Rio. All of these exciting emotions, but also knowing that the road was still long. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like it's you work so hard to get to this moment where you are going to the Olympics and for that to kind of be like your first thought. Like, did you feel like you took enough time to celebrate even the accomplishment, which was getting back into getting back to where you had wanted to be? No. And we never do. Even after winning the Olympics, it's like on to the next. So it does become like, you know, you have your media tour and you're doing all of this stuff. But then you've got coach like, all right, training starts in six weeks. There's no time <laughs> to kind of take it in when you reflect on that period or like other similar occasions in your life where like really big exciting things happen do you find a theme in that that you don't take the time to celebrate like this thing absolutely all the time and actually um I don't know if I can bring this up or how much you've shared but when we did the um panel yesterday with Teddy mm -hmm. and I was listening to him and I was like you know he's this the winningest judo fighter 
But he's like, man, I just want one more gold medal. I just want one more. And and I heard it in his voice where it's like, and it's not a bad thing, but it's a thing where, you know, we always say, if I just get this one thing, when I just achieve this one thing, when I just do this thing, then I'll be happy. No, because you're going to get there and then it's going to be like, okay, I did it. Now what? N- yeah. Now on to the next. And it's, it's this thing that as athletes, I think especially we kind of, we fall into that where it's like, okay, yeah, I need to get this medal. I need to get on this team. But as soon as you do that, then it's like, okay, now that I have that, I have to go on to doing this. What feels like the most critical aspect of your training? Is it the physical? Is it the mental? Like, where are you at during this cycle? Definitely the mental preparation was one that I was very keen on. And from several aspects of, you know, going back to, you know, staying on the things that I had control over, but also being aware of where I was and what I was there to do. I was there on a mission. I was there to um, win some more medals, get on the podium, but also having the wherewithal that like I'm at the Olympics. I'm here with special friends, special training partners. My family was there. So, you know, even taking the time to be intentional about having those moments was another thing that was important for me because um, I got to about 26, 27 years old and I took a look at my passport and saw all these great places that I've been to. And that's the memory that I have of the places that I'd been to was that simply I've been there. I have the stamps in my passport. So, you know, I wanted to be intentional about being in Rio, being with loved ones, while also being there for one of the greatest things in my life to compete in the Olympics. So it was more, and and that is a comparison that I like to make between 16 and 08, was um, I guess that lends to my emotional maturity in terms of, you know, what I was there for and understanding the level of how many people go to the Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, and just just being in gratitude in that sense. I mean, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gratitude strategy seemed to work a lot more than yeah. the self-defeatist strategy. Right. Exactly. Getting gold, mm-hmm. being on the podium. Mm-hmm. I love like that. It's like an instant smile mm-hmm. on your face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something obviously no one will ever like you'll never forget that. Never. And it's... um. Again, comparing the two experiences in 2008, I only ran the preliminary round of the 4x4, so I was not on the podium. So I'm Olympic gold medalist 2008, but the experience was a lot different. Um, And so being able to stand on the podium, hearing the national anthem in my honor or in myself and my teammates honor, um, being able to look out in the stands and see my mom and my grandparents and my brother and seeing how excited and proud they were of me. Um, no, that's a moment that, yeah, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Hopefully I live that again this summer. (laughs) Do you take the time to celebrate that moment? I wish I did. I wish I did. While I talk about, you know, having been in the moment there, things just went into, I mean, the season wasn't over. I still had meets after the Olympics. And then once the meets were over, then there was, you know, this appearance and that appearance. And so, no, No. I didn't really. Do you think you'll learn come 2020? (laughs) I think so. I hope so. And especially now with my son, 
there are moments that I especially want to have with him. I'm hoping that I'll slow down and have those moments with him. All right, let's talk about your son for a beat then. Okay. Five months old. Mm -hmm. It was, as you've spoken out about, like something that you weren't really ready for Mm -hmm. just yet. Mm -hmm. How do you feel now that you have him? And do you believe that it happened for a reason this way? Yeah, I, I was saying this morning, I was telling someone that I went through all of these emotions like, why now? I really want to be a mom, but just not right now. What does this mean for my training? I hated pregnancy. I was so tired. I had morning sickness. But when my son came, I'm 33, and I looked at him and I was like, man, why did I wait this long to have you? Mm. And even through like the hard days of him like crying a lot, and I think he was a little bit colicky um, in his first month, I can't wait to have another one. So, yeah, it it's definitely done something to me. And and I I can attest to I was that girl that was like, yeah, I'm going to have kids, but my kids aren't going to run my life. I'm not going to be that mom. My kid's not going to watch TV. He's five months already watching TV. It, it keeps <laughs> you quiet. All right, go ahead. When women say motherhood does something to you, it really does. It really does. Talk to me about the hurdle of getting back into training. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, five months old, it hasn't been that long. Mm -hmm. And you have a big year coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's it's something I'm still going through. So talk about just the only way is through. Yeah, it was it was humbling. I mean, he was born a month early and I, I found myself on the delivery table like, okay, He's here a month early. That means I get to start a month early. Um, Isn't that crazy? That's where your head's at at this time. That's where my head went. Like, and and it it all happened so fast. I wish we had time to talk about my birth story. Like, <laughs> I almost had him on the couch. I didn't even know I was in labor. Yeah, I was just like, can't wait to get back on the track. My doctor was like, you know, you were fit before your pregnancy. You were fit through your pregnancy. So I think you can start as soon as three weeks afterwards. I was ready to go. My coaches were like, uh, no, <laughs> you have to heal. And then so I started out walking and then I started jogging. And then when I finally got back to the track with my teammates, then it was humbling because it was like I was excited to walk. I was excited to jog. I could feel the difference. I could feel that like I had a long way to go. But getting back out there with my training partners was like, oh, you have a long way to go. <laughs> and then there was the day that we had repeat 500s and I get to about 400 and I start feeling this trickling feeling and I'm like, what the heck is this? Push through. And then finally I was like, no, I'm grown as hell. I'm not about to pee myself. And (laughs) I was peeing myself. So there were all of these things that like, there's so many things that moms tell you, but there are so many things that they don't tell you. Mm, um, I see a tell-all book just like <laughs> in your future. Man. So, I mean, it's, it's been a humbling journey. Um, and I think being able to maintain a level of sense of humor about it, too, has been helpful because it's like, yeah, I'm a 33-year-old grown-ass woman peeing myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no control over it. Like, okay. But um, it's been a slow, steady grind um, there, you know, just as recently as last week, I had a workout where I'm like, OK, she's in there. She's coming there. There there was definitely, though, probably about a month and a half where I was like, 
Woo, I don't know what we signed up for. <laughs> like, I knew it was going to be hard, but man, oh, man. Would you say that being a mom has the potential to make you a better athlete? I think so. And I, I see it in the sense that it's already forced me to be way more intentional about my time. Um, and, you know, it's everything from it's great to get up in the morning and go to work because it's it's a space for me to be Natasha. It's a space for me to be, you know, not mom. Yeah. But I have to be incredibly intentional about that time in terms of getting the job done in that time because when that time is over I'm like all right guys I gotta go I gotta get home to my kid and I can't wait to get home to him so it's made me focus in a way that um time is definitely I mean I live by the clock <laughs> but now it's like you know now I really have to get the job done within a certain time and then also um the way that I focus on my training where once upon a time I could just go out there and just, okay, this is what we're doing. Go do it. that be that. Now it's kind of like, oh, I got to focus on this Kegel and this smaller muscle that I didn't even know that I had that I've now lost the strength in because I pushed a baby out. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've found myself refocusing in those smaller areas that once upon a time I took advantage of. And I mean, I feel like it's got to be interesting now after having a baby. You talked about the pressures that go hand in hand with being a professional mm -hmm. athlete. And I can't imagine that you can even allow them to come into your space the same way now because you're a different person than yeah. you were before you had a kid. Yeah. And, you know, the it's this journey now is an interesting one because it's a very personal one in the sense that I want to prove to myself what I'm made of and prove to myself that, you know, I didn't let a circumstance just end things for me. I didn't let becoming a mom be the reason why I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Um, and I, as much as it's a personal one for me, I hope that no matter the outcome, it's an example for other moms out there that regardless of what your walk of life is, regardless of what your career is, there's a way. A lot of people, they come to your Instagram page, they see a fabulous diva mom that is ready to, you know, take on a big Olympic year here. Um, when you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? I see someone that wants to be vulnerable. Because when you say all of those things about my Instagram, that is something that I, I feel like there's strength and vulnerability. And I try my best to be honest. And that's why I'm sharing that I peed myself. <laughs> I haven't peed myself lately. But, you know, I want people to know that it's not easy. And while I may put some makeup on and I may make it look easy, um, there is a struggle. There is there there are bad days. There are days that I question myself. There are days that I'm unsure. I'm no different than any other woman and, you know, just going after your goals and your dreams. So I see a vulnerable woman that is getting through her shit. <laughs> what excites you right now? It excites me and scares me at the same time as the unknown. You know, the unknown is scary, but I'm just thinking about where my life is going 
and where my son's life is going at this point and just being able to see him grow into a respectable young man that respects women. Yeah. The unknown. The unknown. I also find that we can't close out this podcast without at least touching on your makeup line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 400metadiva.com. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. You're welcome. Um, Yeah. We specialize right now in uh, matte lipsticks and eyelashes, but we are looking to expand. But mm-hmm. for now, those are our um, special items. We got mink lashes that you can wear up to 25 times and our matte lipsticks last through all your coffee and your water all day i um, love that the, <laughs> the lipstick that your go-to for track is called war, war paint. paint yep it's perfect yep it's it perfect, is perfect. <laughs> final question okay you have an opportunity right now to offer the natasha in 2012 who is like doubting everything one piece of advice going through that hurdle moment what is it that you tell her right now be careful how you're speaking to yourself. Um, you have to love yourself before anyone else can love you. And that's that's not even about track. That's just life. It's just love life. yourself. I love yeah. it. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thank you for having me. Please take a moment and leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description of this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast, Instagram, Twitter, at Hurdle Podcast, Natasha, where do they find you? How do they keep up with you if they can even try? <laughs> Everything is Natasha Hastings. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> there we go. That's the rundown. I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 